Um, so we're continuing in Acts. Um, we're in Acts chapter 6 this morning, but just wanted to give a quick recap. Um, to, if you weren't here last week, Paul was sharing about Acts chapter 5. We had the cheery story of Ananias and Sapphira, um, how the early church was generous in its care for those in need, and um, the deception of Ananias and Sapphira and their fate spread holy fear amongst the people. And we were speaking about how God longs for us to be holy and obedient in what he's called us to. We read about the signs and wonders happening among the people, how the sick were being healed, and how we long to see those things happen in the life of our church and community too. Um, the crowds gathered, they were drawn to what was happening, and we said, oh, that people would be drawn to our church and other churches because of the presence of Jesus and the wonderful things that are happening. And the result of this for the apostles and disciples was opposition and persecution. In Acts 5, they were even let out of their jail cell by an angel. And despite everything, they could not help but share about Jesus and the, and the kingdom. In, ver, in verse 29 of chapter 5, it says, We must obey God rather than human beings. So that's where we're up to as we come to Acts chapter 6. So as we start in Acts chapter 6, the church is beginning to expand. In the first five chapters, it's kind of being established in Jerusalem. Opposition is coming because they're speaking about Jesus. So we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter Chapter 6, and I'm going to read from the message version this morning. So during this time, as the disciples were increasing in numbers by leaps and bounds, hard feelings developed among the Greek-speaking believers, Hellenists, towards the Hebrew-speaking believers, because their widows were being discriminated against in the daily food lines. So the twelve called a meeting of the disciples. They said, It wouldn't be right for us to abandon our responsibilities for preaching and teaching the word of God to help with the care of the poor. So friends, choose seven men from among you whom everyone trusts, men full of the Holy Spirit and good sense, and we'll assign them this task. Meanwhile, we'll stick to our assigned tasks of prayer and speaking God's word. The congregation thought this was a great idea. So they went ahead and chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. Then they presented them to the apostles, praying the apostles laid on hands and commissioned them for their task. So I'm going to pause there at the end of verse 6. So in the Jewish culture, taking responsibility for the poor was always very important. And it's clear from this passage, you know, the church was not just concerned with the spiritual ministry, but they were also concerned with the material ministry. Caring for the poor was just part of their DNA. It was what they did, like we saw in chapter 5 with their generosity. And you know, for us, that's something we wanted from the beginning of this church from as soon as we started Carrick Vineyard. You know, we believe that worship and the poor and justice are inseparable issues. You can't have one without the other. The Bible is so full of references to caring for the poor. And if it's important to God, it's important to us. I was reading in Amos chapter 5, and, and this is the message version too, which are pretty strong words. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. 
I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've, all, I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. So God, it's so obvious there, he's after justice. He's after caring for the poor. He doesn't want our songs and our conferences unless we're willing to do those other things as well. So in our church, we've always actively looked for ways we can do that. Um, you know, near the beginning of planting the church, we felt called to work with Stand By Me and the work they do with e in Ethiopia. We give 5% of our income to that work. You know, Paul's visited there. We'd still love to take teams there. We give 5% of our income locally to the Pregnancy Resource Centre. They do important work in our community with women who have pregnancy crisis, women who are suffering because of pregnancy loss. They work with young people around issues of sexual health and self-esteem. We give to other compassion projects in our community. You know, we partner with Jordan Victory and the Trussell Trust with the Food Bank. We work alongside CAP, Christians Against Poverty. We have our mum and baby bags, which we make up to be given to the social workers and Royal Maternity. You know, we are trying to do the things that God's called us to do, but we're always open for more ways that we can care for those in need. We always want to be pressing into that as a church. And I really think there will be more to come in that area. I don't know if any of you watched Comic Relief um, last Friday night. I watched it and I was like crying my eyes out in front of the TV. But one of the things I really loved the most about what they did was their 10 years later clips. So they showed, you know, one of the celebrities like John Bishop or whatever going to visit someone and then they showed them 10 years later, like up to date now. And I thought that was amazing, you know. And some of the things we give money to or give our time to or whatever, we might not ever know the impact that we will have. But hopefully in some cases we will. Like with the children in Bokaji, we'll be able to know what happened when we started caring for them and then 10 years later, what's happening to them then. You know, our God is passionate about justice and those who are poor, so we want to be too. We want that to be part of our church life. And I thought it was interesting when I read this, the first people to be appointed after the apostles, they weren't more preachers, they weren't more teachers, they were chosen for their practical service, but they were also men of integrity. As we see there in verse 3, or it was in verse 3, men whom everyone trusts, men full of the Holy Spirit and good sense. And you know, why did all these problems come about? It was because there was a criticism of the arrangement of the care of the poor by the Greek-speaking Christians. The 12 apostles realized it was too much for them. They were being distracted from their primary duty. So teaching was important. Caring for the poor was also important. But they were doing neither of those things well. You know, they were called specifically to witness and evangelism. And I think that's something that I have personally had to learn over the last few years and maybe something for some of us here too. You know, you can see that there's so much need. There's so much that could be done in so many areas. And sometimes we could see that there's so much that it could almost paralyze us so we end up doing nothing. Or we go the other way and we try to end up doing everything and we do none of it well. 
So I think it's really important for us to know what we personally are called to. The apostles realized that they were called to witness and evangelism. They did something about it. And each one of us, we're all called to play our part. You know, it looks different for all of us because of our situation, our personalities, our giftings. But we all have things that we're called to do inside and outside the church. And one of my favorite verses is Ephesians 2.10, where all God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And no matter how you feel this morning about your abilities or your capacity, there truly is something for all of us to do. You know, those first people, as I said, they weren't preachers or teachers. They were called for practical service. So my question to everyone here this morning is, you know, what is it that you're called to do? What is God speaking to you about? And one of the reasons they knew what they were called to is because it says they were full of the Holy Spirit. So the more time we spend with God asking him to fill us, the more we'll know who we are and what we're called to. Um, as we say in Reach, it's we're reaching for our unique design and destiny, but that's applicable to the guys as well. You know, we've all got something that God's on us to do. You know, and as church leaders, Paul and I have had to learn this. You know, if we kept trying to do everything ourselves, it would just end up being ridiculous. We'd be overstretched. We'd end up doing nothing well. So as our church has grown, we've learned to release more and more to other people. And one example that I often use is the kids' ministry. You know, at the start, I took it on. I quickly realized I've bitten off more than I can chew here. And thankfully, Jillian came along and she had vision and passion for it. She just loves seeing what God's doing in the community and with the kids in our church. And loads of you here who have kids comment on what their kids are experiencing in the groups. And I just love chatting to Jillian after a Tuesday when she's been in school and she describes about the presence of God in the class, the questions the kids are asking and everything. But, you know, that applies to her too. You know, as the kids' ministry grows, she couldn't do everything herself or she'll get worn out and end up not doing it well so other people need to come alongside her and share in the kids ministry and it's the same for all the things that we're doing you know God needs to keep raising us up like in this passage you know we could say the same for Rach what Andrea's doing with the women you know she's taking it on further and further the same with youth worship cafe hospitality welcome setup you know, all of these things are growing and there's other areas in our church that I really believe wants to, God wants to grow and develop, like compassion, ministry, evangelism, community, perhaps more stuff for the men, parenting, families, overseas work. You know, and for Paul and I, it's one of the most amazing things when we see people released into what God has for them. And I love it that we can see it in this passage in the early church and that we can learn from how the apostles did it. And I also love it that it's not just about what's going on inside the church, it's what's going on outside, like in your workplace, in your if you work in a hospital in Tesco, if you're standing at the school gate, if you're in your body combat class like Jennifer, all the stuff that's happening is incredible. And you know, when I read this passage, I felt kind of comforted. It reminded me of a conversation I was having with Gina recently. <laughs> Whenever there's a church, there's people in it, problems are going to come. I kind of liked it when I read this. Oh, it wasn't like the perfect church where everything was going swimmingly. 
Um, there was hard feelings, as mentioned, but they discussed the issue, they identified the problem, and together they found a solution. Verse 5 says, the congregation thought this was a great idea. I was chuckling when I was reading that during the week, hoping that you would think that about loads of the things that happen here. You know, it's going to happen here at Carrick Vineyard. We're a bunch of people. We've all got our stuff. We're bound to have difficulties along the way. It's just inevitable. But as we've said often before, if there's things that are bothering you, you know, don't go and mutter about it to everyone else. Talk to the person, talk to us, and hopefully we'll find a solution. You know, the people who entered into this ministry who were chosen had Greek names. And if you'll notice at the start, it said the hard feelings had come from the Greek-speaking believers. So the people who were the solution to the problem were in the group itself. And as I read that, I, I thought of another phrase we often say, which is, he who gets the vision gets the job. So maybe God's showing you gaps, problems, things going on in the church or the community. And maybe God's speaking to you about being part of the solution. I'm going to embarrass Jules now. I don't even know if she's here, but she is. You know, she's seen like there's something, there's a problem in our community. She's been stirred by the issue of women and trafficking. And she's seen there's a problem. But I love it that she's not just sitting around thinking, oh, that's terrible. She's doing something about it. She's talking to people. She's gathering a group of women. They're praying together. They're seeking God for what he wants them to do. And, you know, that's, I just love that. You know, there's something God's stirring you about. Do something about it. And you might not know where to start, but start with prayer. Start with sharing it. So the men are chosen and presented to the apostles. Verse 6 says, praying the apostles laid on hands and commissioned them for their task. So when we read this in the New Testament, laying on of hands could be for a few reasons. It could be for healing, blessing, commissioning, or imparting spiritual gifts. And whenever we pray for people, whether it's here in church or in life group or in mods like Jennifer, it's a biblical thing we're doing. You know, we're joining in to bless what God's already doing. We're asking for healing. We're asking God to give us gifts. And my friend Rachel at Soul Survivor used to say to us, you know, everything God says comes with an RSVP attached. You know, we can all come to church on a Sunday. We can sit and listen. We could say, oh, that's nice and go home and have our lunch and forget about it but if you feel moved on a Sunday by what God's saying what he's speaking to you about we would love to bless what he's doing we'd love to help you journey that further and one way we can do that is by laying on hands and just praying and asking to bless what God's doing so it's one way to encourage you that you might want it RSVP to go to God so I'm going to um, just look at the second half, starting at chapter 7 yet. The word of God prospered. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased dramatically. Not least, a great many priests submitted themselves to the faith. Stephen, brimming with God's grace and energy, was doing wonderful things among the people, unmistakable signs that God was among them. But then some men from the meeting place whose membership was made up of freed slaves, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, some others from Silica and Asia, went up against him trying to argue him down. But they were no match for his wisdom and spirit when he spoke. So in secret they bribed men to lie. We heard him cursing Moses and God. 
that stirred up the people, the religious leaders and religion scholars. They grabbed Stephen and took him before the high council. They put forward their bribed witnesses to testify. This man talks non-stop against this holy place and God's law. We even heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth would tear this place down and throw out all the customs Moses gave us. As all those who sat on the high council looked at Stephen, they found they couldn't take their eyes off him. His face was like the face of an angel. So we see from the second half of this, the result of the choosing of the seven and the releasing of them into this practical ministry was the word of God prospered, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased dramatically. So there was an increase in Christian witness and a multiplication, can nearly speak. So that's what happens, you know, when we rise up to what God has called us to. And we've seen it here in our church, you know, as many of you step up to serve and give. The kingdom's multiplied, the church grows, and we're just longing for more of that. You know, that as each of us pursues God and all that he has for us, we'll see more and more people coming to faith, more and more people becoming part of God's family. And loads of this second part of Acts 6 is about Stephen. It says here he's brimming with God's grace and energy the NIV said he's full of God's grace and power you know these qualities were present in him they were part of the reason that he was chosen by the others but I just find it amazing to read what God was doing through him you know wonderful things happening among the people unmistakable signs that God was among them in verse 10 but they were no match for his wisdom and spirit when he spoke you know, Stephen was a man with vision and passion. He served practically, but he saw God move among the people with signs and wonders. You know, he had such wisdom when he spoke. He had authority. You know, they tried to argue him down, but they couldn't do it. So what they had to do was resort to bribing people falsely to accuse him. And when Jesus was with the disciples, he had promised them with the help of the Spirit that they would be able to defend themselves. In Luke 12, it says, When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. You know, the early church, you can see it many times, they were able to argue their faith well, put up a case, so they couldn't, you know... The, they had to like bribe people to speak against them because they were so good at being able to explain their faith. And whenever I read that, it reminded me of a time when I was at um, a CE weekend at school and the speaker shared a verse in 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your heart set apart Christ as God, as Lord, always be prepared to give everyone an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And you know, ever since I was a teenager and I heard that verse spoken about, that stuck with me. You know, if someone asks me, you know, so why are you a Christian then? Or why do you go to this church? Or what do you believe? You know, would I be able to answer them? Would I be able to give an answer for the reason that the hope that I that I have in Christ. You know, one thing that I really feel challenged about recently is, you know, I've heard of loads of really sad things um, that have happened in people's lives. You know, can I still give a reason for a hope that I have in Jesus, even though, you know, people I know are going through really terrible things? You know, if you're chatting to mums at the gate, colleagues in your work, wherever that is, in your office, in the hospital, you know, are you able to speak about Jesus and what he's done for you? 
you know, and Jesus said the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. Um, you know, I, recently I've had opportunity to meet up with a couple of the mums from school. And to be honest, in the coffee shop when I'm sitting ha having the conversation in my head, I'm going, Holy Spirit, please speak to me. Please help me. Please guide this conversation. Help me know what to say. Because I want to make the most of that opportunity. You know, I really feel like God's put them in my path for a reason. It's not coincidence that they've asked me to have a coffee. Like, that's amazing. You know, and maybe we don't get asked the question outright often, but if our hearts are to see people share the hope and love that we have, you know, maybe we need to increase our expectancy. Maybe we need to ask God for these opportunities and these conversations. You know, I do believe there is an openness in our community to hear about God and what he's done. You know, our friends in Causeway Coast are seeing hundreds of people come to faith because they're going out there and just chatting to them about Jesus. And it is amazing, you know, so are we willing to be bolder, you know, to ask God for opportunities just in our everyday lives? You know, Paul read out last week the fate of all the different apostles, you know, what happened to each of them. Most of them died horrific deaths, and I was just asking myself, you know, am I willing to endure a little bit of embarrassment if someone just looks at me funny, like, what are you talking about, you know, for the sake of Jesus? And it's amazing when you read the final verse 15 of this chapter. As all those who sat on the high council looked at Stephen, they found they couldn't take their eyes off him. His face was like the face of an angel. You know, that's a description of a person close to God, reflecting his glory because they've been in the presence of Jesus. Again, another challenge to me. You know, I'm not sure I'm aiming for the face of an angel, but am I a different person as a result of being in the presence of God? You know, do people notice anything different about me? You know, there's so much in this chapter. There's lots more I could share more in depth. But one of the things that struck me most was that sense of increase. You know, it says... Um, increasing in leaps and bounds, increasing dramatically. And again, as I read it, it made me think, am I hungry for an increase? Am I hungry for more of God, for more of his presence? You know, am I hungry for our church to increase in number? Not so we can say we've got a great big church, but because if I find this love and hope that Christ has given to me, do I want to give it away? I want more people to know that, to have that. You know, to have us to be courageous and bold as the apostles were, to seek out what God has for us and to step into that, to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have, to be generous, to give away what we have to those who are poor and broken like they organized themselves to do at the start of the chapter. You know, all of me, all of my time, my money, my finances, I have to say, God, start with me. I have to ask him to do it in me. I can't ask any of you to have conversations with people to give your time or money away if I'm not willing to do it myself. So I re as I read this, it's a challenge to me, and I'm challenging you too. What's God called you to? What does he want to do in your life? What does he want you to give away? Who does he want you to share it with?